0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. First of all, I must apologize that we were not here last week. Um, I can confidently say it was Phoenix's fault, so pass the bl- put the blame on him. But anyway, today we have two guests. Our first guest is Ikemesit. Ikemesit is Head of Research at SBM Intelligence, one of Nigeria's leading political and economic consultancies. Our second guest is Samuel Atiku. He's assured me he's not related to Atiku Abubakar. Samuel Atiku is a public policy consultant with the International Budget Partnership. Now we'll be discussing one topic today, but it's a very, very broad topic, which is the gubernatorial elections that took place yesterday in Nigeria. A number of states are up for grabs. I think my home state at no states is one of the few states that is not up for grabs because I think the governor has about a year or two to go. But firstly, to Phoenix. Phoenix, a number of states are up for grabs. So the first question is, are you predicting or do you foresee any upsets? Or have there been any upsets So far, Phoenix. And could you also explain to the listeners where you've been? Because a number of people were irate that you were missing. So those are the two issues for you to address, Phoenix.
1: (laughs) I like it when our listeners are looking for us. It shows that um, uh, we have loyal listeners, and we're very thankful for that. Um, So I'm sorry, everyone. Um, I was not available for uh, last week's recording. Uh, Duty called, and I was traveling. But I'm back and happy to be back um hi michael and uh, hi Gemasit and atiku thank you for joining us hello listeners um for me upsets i haven't seen any upsets i think the results have started coming in um i ex- i wouldn't lie i was hoping for an upset in um uh, in in lagos um which i think would have been a stronger um expectation if we hadn't seen what happened uh, with the presidential election. So even though Peter Obi won, the overall um, outcome of the election and the way um, the whole thing was stolen and you know, left a bitter taste in the mouth of people. So I knew that there was going to be um, a number of people who would not choose to, to participate. And once that happens, because we've always, I've always said consistently that to upset the apple cart, you needed to energize voters and get them to come out. So you needed high, high turnout. And so if we're not going to get high turnout, it was going to be very, very difficult. And you knew that the, and I was certain that the APC was going to work doubly hard. Having seen PWB win defeat Tinubu in Lagos, I knew that they were going to work very hard, and so it was going to be difficult. But I'm sorry, you know, Phoenix. So, I need to pin you down on this.
0: Point because there's been debate on social media amongst commentators as to whether or not there's been low turnout or other factors have affected the number of people voting. So, are you saying in this gubernatorial elections there's been low turnout? Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I'm saying that there was, there's lo- there was lower turnout compared to the presidential elections. So, this is not to deny the fact that we had significant voter suppression, intimidation, we saw all the violence. In my view, um, if this was a same country, the elections in Lagos would be canceled. That, that's my view. Having seen what happened yesterday, that that was not an election. You don't, You don't uh, validate that. But in general, there was still lower turnout compared to the presidential election, where we had high turnout. And we also had some of this um, suppression and, and all of that but people still stuck it out and, and voted. And that's what we saw What we saw. I did not expect to see the same level of turnout given what happened, but people still came out for the governorship um, elections. And then we saw what happened yesterday. In other states, um, I, I firmly, so when I look across, um, the, when we talk about upsets, for me, that would be the labor party winning winning certain states and i think for me my eyes are on abia and enugu where i expect them to win so we don't know what's... i mean i think at the last count they were they were leading in both states but we don't know what's going to be the final collation we'll see um rivers uh, was in with a shout. <laughs> we knew what wiki was going to do there, and we'll see what happens whether Labour decides to um, pursue the case in court. But yeah, from uh, and then of course, I mean some of the other interesting races uh, in Adamawa, where we may likely have a, uh, the first democratically elected uh, female governor, if I believe correct, if I'm correct. Um, and um, yeah, those were the interesting races in my mind. Thank you, Phoenix. Before I go
0: to Samuel, I just want to ask question you on this Damoa issue because there was some drama surrounding the candidate or the leading female candidate. Uh, I think her name is Aisha Binani.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There were suggestions that she, her company or a company she is a director of was awarded a, the printing contract by INEC. So her company actually printed the ballot papers that were used to conduct the election in which she participated, and it's alleged Einak initially claimed that they did not know she was involved. But ordinary people went online and found that even if you just went on the basic website, her name was there. So is, does that put a cloud around her possible victory
1: in your view? Absolutely, does absolutely does. I mean, of course, people. I mean, people will say, I mean. You know, getting a contract is powerful the course for most politicians. And to the extent that um, ballot papers do not carry individual names, um, um, and they're not—I I don't think they're serialised or whatever—I don't know—but it does put a cloud. And I think it's something that should be pursued. Should should she win, I'm sure somebody will take that up and and uh, and call that out. I mean, absolutely. No, I mean, you can't be, you can't, I mean, there there are enough contracts going around in government circles that that should not be one that you're giving to a candidate who's running for the election. And it leaves a, again, it's Nigeria. And we just always find a way to do the worst things. I mean, this is, this is a, if she wins, that's a victory that should be celebrated, a breakthrough for Nigeria, for women, and in the North. And then now that is being tarnished by this very, avoidable um thing and for me absolutely it's i mean if 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 this is true then it should be pursued and and see where where it leads us now i'm not sure what what it will do i don't know what uh, of course it, it might just be a an issue of optics and i mean i'm not sure if there's anything legal that can be proven or something that can get her disqualified or anything uh, but yeah, it does it does cast a poll on, on on her potential victory. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me go to Samuel. Samuel,
0: Felix has just sort of touched on this INEC drama or INEC's role in this <laughs> electoral drama. But well, let's start with River States, because I don't understand how or why, but River State seems to be the HQ of drama when it comes to Nigerian politicians. So Wike and Amechi's candidates seem to be at it again. And Amechi made an interesting revelation. And can you talk us through what Amechi was alleging yesterday and the things he said about INEC, Samuel?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think it's um, interesting that uh, Mamichi is now stepping out to talk about the biasness, right? He's um, looking at INEC itself as an institution and then talking about the leadership, how the APC, APC, now the president-elect, was instrumental in actually bringing in the new INEC. uh, I mean, I would say ensuring that the uh, Mahmoud, the INEC... um, a uh, share person, the person that shares and actually leads a direct electoral processes in Nigeria. Uh, that he, he, I mean it's a nominee of the APC. But that's not surprising. If you recall very well, most of the rec, I remember, if you remember vividly, even the president did nominate one of his spokespersons uh, to actually sit as one key decision maker within INEC. Uh, But putting everything together, I would say um, if you look at the entire electoral process, not minding the outcomes that we get, it shows clearly that something was fundamentally wrong even before the day of the elections. First, doing voters' registration. Clearly, And the way INEC actually did manage uh, the voter registration process shows clearly that there were biases. They had their own candidate on their mind. They knew what they were doing from the point go. They make sure they frustrate efforts uh, to get people registered. I think that was one. And then by the time that was done, uh, the process of getting PVCs, right? You need PVC. Also, a lot of issues were there. People, actually, majority of the people that we, I mean, that were supposed to participate in the election, my estimate, roughly about over 10 million people could not get their PVC. That self is an indictment on INEC. How can 10 million people not get access to cats, which is, I mean, that is not 1 million, it's not 50,000, almost 10 million people could not get access. And if you recall also the registration of over uh, 8 million plus people was also winged out, showing clearly that things were not fundamentally right. So um, if you leave that, if you leave the PVC process, remember also the new electoral had did allow electoral voting. And it will have been less complicated understanding the issue of electoral violence in Nigeria for Nigeria to have actually gone the electoral way, meaning that with your single fingerprints or with your eye your pictures and all those things. You could do verification and vote electrical. I mean, you can't be snatching, <laughs> you can't snatch electoral. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can't, you can't, if you destroy the machine, there, yeah, you destroy it, but you can't manipulate it. Again, all of a sudden, despite the fact that we had ample time to put that in place, Aynes said, no, we're not going that route, that they will continue to do what we've been doing in the past, that are failed. Now, the, electo, the election proper, Um, from candidate, lack of clarity around who the candidates are, lack of clarity around what happens to the electoral register, whether it was cleaned off after people gave their feedback. If you leave that space alone and then you come to the real election, the day of the election itself, you saw massive logistic nightmare. Um, Again, aside from the logistic nightmare, um, some people, I mean, if, I mean, you talk about rivers. I'm sure Lagos is even. You have cameras. If INEC can go to a VGC and tell you they are moving the police unit on the day of election, so you can imagine what must have happened in the rural hinterland where the cameras were not there. And so, the for me personally, the entire process was a big shame. It was a disgrace. I mean, it's it's one of those key things that that I keep talking about. Regardless of what the outcome comes, whether it favors me or not, the truth is that once the process is flawed, definitely the outcome cannot be nice. And just to double down on that, it's very common, which is the problem with Nigeria. We've seen it in the education sector. We've seen it around agriculture. We've seen it in the health sector. Expect the few intellectual Nigerians to step up and begin to legalize and rationalize what has happened. Uh, they will begin to tell oh, voters turn out in the South is low. Voters turn out in this one. They will begin to rationalize, to actually pull legitimacy, a stamp of legitimacy over this sham election. So back to your question there, Michael. Uh, what I mentioned is alluding to, he has also been a beneficiary of the same process. The truth is that we only complain when outcomes of election do not favor us. Uh, we have never as a country, Specifically, look at the process of elections and actually take concerted effort to take, I mean, to actually correct it and make it work for people. And so, may I typically will ignore those kind of comments? Uh, the focus people should keep their eye on the lead itself. If Amity had the opportunity of hiring more thugs and um, getting up with this men to back him up and the military to back him, we will have done exactly the same thing we cases to be doing in the rivers. Um, um, <laughs> Artigo,
0: I, I Sorry, I just want to. I just want to clarify something because, well, so the comments you're making are observations that a number of commentators on social media have also made as well. Which was the fact that INEC seemed to first of all move polling booths from within safe locations to unsafe locations. There were allegations that INEC officials were openly telling people that they were not going to upload the results in real time. And the people could deal with it, but they were not going to do it. And the question a number of Nigerians are asking is: As chairman of INEC, Professor Yakubu, do these things not embarrass him? is it that there's nobody in the leadership of INEC who's embarrassed by the, the behaviour of of the institution that they they run? Is that what is that what you're saying?
2: I mean, it's remiss- I mean, if you go to a classical, I always say that um, if you go to one of the if you go to any university in Nigeria and you look at the way universities are run in Nigeria, there's no accountability itself within the university system. So I'm even going to the fabric of the society. I'm sure you've not seen the you've not seen the financial statement of any university in Nigeria. So they run things with impunity and they brought it to Ibec. And I've always made the argument that. They are not embarrassed. It's something that I've been grounded up. So the way they part, there's no, I would like or it, there's no transparency around decision-making. If you look at a classical Nigerian lecturer, he doesn't give it up. I mean, to use the word loosely, whether someone failed or not, he doesn't care. And so you have a court, you have a, I I'll call it a, a siege mentality towards um, decision-making and how they take actions, uh, which is weird in the sense that this is a different board game. So your question whether the Mahmoud wouldn't care. I mean, remember he was, Mr. Incon- what they call it inconclusive. He was third inconclusive. He has made a whole lot of things that people should have rejected. In fact, I keep saying it and I mentioned it. I, re- I remember. Sometimes this, I think around this time last year, I did mention that the outcome of the election will not favor, it will favor some people they will rationalize and not favor people. People seems not to focus on the process itself. If you've looked at the handwriting on the wall, you will know from the day that this man was appointed i chairman, that he had absolutely no good intention. I'm, 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 I'm bold to say that. From the registration process, look at the entire registration process. To the point that you have—I mean, just imagine—you have an institution registers somebody come out and tell you seven million people could not complete their registration, and you're saying that publicly in a same society, the process will have been put to question. But Unfortunately, I remember on social media people were abusing Nigerians; they were abusing the seven million people for not completing their process, their registration oh, process.
0: I was so, saying sorry that, to cut uh, you, Samuel, because I need to move to because.
2: Just to end it, um, yeah. the problem is that we focus too much on outcomes that favor us, and then we legitimize and rationalize process. The process of the election is flawed, and as long as that's not corrected, the outcome will continue to give us the results we are getting today.
0: Thank you, Samuel. I'm going to go to Kamesit to, to build on the issues you've highlighted. So firstly, Kamesit, this allegations by Rotimi Amechi. Rotimi Amechi, is a senior member of the All Progressives Congress. He was a director general of Buhari's presidential campaigns on two occasions in 2015 and 2019. He was a senior minister of transport, Buhari's right-hand man. And he said on national television that he personally opposed the appointment of Professor Yakubu because Professor Yakubu was biased. And in fact, it was Bola Tinubu's camp that nominated Professor Yakubu to the chairmanship of INEC. Ikemesit, this are, are these not very serious allegations? Are these, are these the sort of allegations that Peter Obi can bring before the Supreme Court? And can Rotibi Amechi be brought as a witness to the trial? Because this, this 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 is the sort of this is a bombshell type allegation, is isn't it,
3: Ikemesit? Um, uh, good evening, thanks for having me again. Um, So yes, they they are in fact serious allegations, but I suppose, um, first and foremost, uh, we we need to understand the context um, within which those allegations were made in order to ascribe them the the proper weight um, that they, uh, or rather the appropriate weight that they should have. Rotimi Amici is all of those things that you mentioned right in the in the intro to your question Rotimi Amici is also someone who um is not highly favored right in the camp of the um of the president elect and so um one could make the, one could make the argument that you know there's some there's some political gamership that's going on um, here as well um if there is so, to solve the, the narrow points of your question, if there is definitive proof, right, that and there's substance to those allegations, um, in theory, um, that is something that you become, can bring up. Um, whether, though, you know, they are able to uh, reach some kind of, you know, um, arrangements with Rotimi Michi, which would um which would then, um, w- which would then one, give them access to, uh, to that evidence if it does exist, right? And again, we can't assume, we can't assume that the evidence exists and we certainly cannot take um, Rotimi and Michi's comments on face value. Um, uh, but then in theory, it is possible um, how material it is to the actual conduct of the election, um, I, th- I think is a completely different um, matter entirely. I think that there is a lot to unpack in INEC's uh, institutional inability to have delivered a credible, um, you know, electoral outcome, right? That um, you know, in in theory, a a court, and um, there's there's a wealth of evidence to put before you know the Supreme Court and put before a court, um, um, in in order to advance the arguments that, and um, the the opposition can certainly not just Obi but also you know, um, for Atikwa Abubakar as well. Um, so, sorry
0: to cut you, Ekemisi, because I we need to I need to get some clarity on on this issue. So Rotimi okay. amechi has alleged that the INEC chairman was biased in favor of Bola Tinubu. What we know, and we discussed it on the last podcast when Phoenix was here, was that IREV was working for all the other elections that were taking place. But when it suddenly came to the presidential elections, the IREV portal mysteriously shut itself down. And objective observers are saying that clearly favored Bola Tinubu. So are you, are you saying that despite all this circumstantial evidence that seems to point to a, a INEX bias in favor of Bolatinibu, you, you're still saying these things are neither here
3: nor there? Is that, is that what you're saying? The, 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 the key and the operative word in, in, in your question and in the framing of your question is circumstantial, right? Um, if there is definitive evidence that attaches a stronger, you know, and a more cogent weight than circumstantial evidence. The point about IREV you know, is is, is a fascinating one and is well taken. Like you rightly said it worked in all of the off-cycle elections. It worked in Anambra, right? Um, I believe in 2019 or 2020, I can't recall. But it certainly worked in Anambra. It worked in Ekiti, and it worked in Oshun, which both and which both occurred. Um, last year, and apparently for the current, you know, um, gubernatorial and state houses of assembly um, um, races, um, it's been working. Now, you know, we we did a tally at Sbm, and, um, and and we figured out that forty two percent of um, all states um, had polling units who had uploaded their results to. Um, I, I mean, 42% of states, right, had 50% or more of their polling units, right, upload, up, um, upload their results to IRF successfully as at 8 p.m. yesterday, right? For some states, Inugu state, for example, that number was 72%, right? You know, yesterday, a lot of the states right now are in the high, you know, 70% to, to, to the 90% category. So clearly, the technology, right, worked prior to and after the presidential election. It just didn't work in the presidential election. Einek has questions to answer about that, right? But then again, there is a, I wouldn't say a quirk in our law, but it's just the way our law is structured, which is that, um, especially when allegations are made, right, Um, in a legal brief before a court, he who alleges must prove, and the quantum of proof, I mean, in this case, it's not a criminal um, proceeding necessarily, right? So you don't need to prove beyond all reasonable doubt, but you need to prove beyond what the law calls the preponderance of evidence or the preponderance, right, of possibilities that a part- that one an irregularity or a series of irregularities irregularities occurred. Two, it was deliberately orchestrated. And um, three, it was orchestrated in a way that it materially damaged your chances of um, either winning or at least securing a right, more credible um, outcome. And four, you know, stripping away all of those irregularities aside, the contests, right, electoral contests in this case would be materially different, or at least the outcomes of it will be materially different. So that's what the OB and the article camp have to do. And like I said earlier, there is enough in INEC's um, mismanagement of the electoral process, both on the 25th of February. And you're still seeing a lot of that happen today to suggest that um, the preconditions for a successful case exists, um, whether that's does happen in reality is a different conversation entirely.
0: Thank you, sit. And let me go to Phoenix. So Phoenix, on this question of Inex role. So there were credible videos, journalists from Arise TV and a number of TV stations were posting videos of EINEC officials dilly dallying, trying to explain how oh, there, there seems to be a, an issue they can't upload results. Or as soon as the election in that polling unit is announced in favor of labor, thugs would suddenly appear and then smash up all the ballot boxes and they would vanish. And then as soon as somebody tried to attack the thugs, the police would mysteriously, mysteriously appear. And the allegations are. INEC appears to be working in cahoots with some thugs and the police to try to disrupt the process. In your view, is there, are these allegations
1: credible, Phoenix? Well, Michael, they're 100% credible. I mean, if you remember, in all our discussions, I think in the run-up to the elections, I had talked about three variables. Um, turnout, um, um, violence, and, of course, um, INEC Turnout, I expected to be high. Violence, I expected to be there, but not not as usual, not overt, overtly there, such that it would impact the elections to a high degree. And I think that's what we saw um, in in the presidential elections. There was violence, but it was nowhere near what we saw yesterday. INEC for me was the most important part. Why? Because we all of a sudden now have an electoral act that if you follow it, even 90%, not 100%, it should deliver the best elections that we've ever had. Because there's technology now put in place. The whole issue about, can we transmit results electronically had been settled we now had the opportunity to transmit results directly from the polling units. We always, we all know that it, it, the way things happen is either you have um, um, elect, either you have uh, people ballots box snatching or or this or turning the polling units upside down, or the, the rigging that usually happens happens at the collation center. So if we can have the results already sent from the polling unit once it's counted, then you take away possibilities of all of that happening. But, uh, and so with, with that legal backing, with the funding that they received and with the assurances that, that INEC was was given, it was important for me that this INEC play out their role in a in a positive manner, you know, being neutral. But very quickly, we saw that that was not going to be the case with the, with the presidential election. First, to, to what you had already mentioned earlier, we saw the um, system work for some result and not work for some result. We then you know, saw the chairman of INEC practically wave away concerns being raised by the major parties who were telling him that, look, this, what you are what you're, what you're, uh, reporting has not, is not in, in consonance with what happened at the polling units, and we have the results. Somebody who is determined to deliver free and fair election will have said, okay, stop the presses, let us validate what you are saying, because he has time. He has time. We're not swearing in a president until May 29th. So what's the rush to declare somebody a winner if, if, if the people, if the contestants are complaining of so much uh, irregularity it didn't take him anything to then say, okay, stop, let's let's have an external body audit, audit all the polling unit results and then tell me within a week or two weeks if it's true or not. People, everybody would have been more happier with that instance. But instead, he waved them off and the guy told them to go to court and declared. So it was clear that this guy was up to no good. And I've not even talked about the instances of disenfranchisement that we saw. With INEC people not showing up, or showing up very late, or coming with not enough ballot papers, or coming with a beavers machine that is not working, or or with people who had been given instruction not to upload. So I mean, and you've mentioned them. So the villain of the piece is INEC, led by Professor Mahmoud Yakubu. That guy, that guy needs to go to jail for what he has done for this election that he has run. It is absolutely the worst election we've had since I've been aware of elections happening in this country. We've not had any be as bad as this. And that is because we had the opportunity to have good elections. So in the past, we can say we never had the legal framework or we never had the the infrastructure or we never had the technology or we never had, you know, you, you can come up with it. People were, we always had bad actors going back all the way to 1983 or or 1979 or name it. We've always had bad actors, but this was, you know, there was a deliberate attempt to improve the, the electioneering process in this country. And INEC led by Mahmoud Yakubu scuppered it by being in cahoots with the ruling party, the APC, very clearly, very clearly, in different parts of, of the country, it was clear between INEC and the police, you were seeing a, a, a coordinated effort to rob the people of of their opportunity to vote and and participate in this very important, you know, civic duty. And you and in an election that people were enthusiastic, there were there were people who were willing, who have... you know, how do you explain? That we had 10 million new people register to for vote to to vote, we had 97 percent no sorry 94 percent PVC collection rate, we had 87 million people with PVCs willing to vote, and then we end up with a 27 percent votes of 27 percent of all the registered PVCs votes cast. It's crazy, and so for for so. For me, to answer your question, there is no doubt that INEC was in cahoots with the ruling party and and, and played all sorts of funny games and, and worked out his scenario. So now it is left for us to see if the judiciary will also fall in line with them and, and allow this charade, because it's, it's crazy. I mean, as I said before, Number one, I know that the presidential election was stolen, so that needs to that needs to be pursued to, to its full course. And we're seeing how INEC is also frustrating the efforts there. The people are trying to challenge. INEC is refusing to give them the materials they need, knowing fully well that it, at the election petition must be filed within 21 days. The 21 days is going to be up on Tuesday. And the guys still don't have enough information to file their petition. And there's nothing you can do about that. You're not going to go to the court and say, I need to not give us. The the constitution is clear. It must be 21 days. So... I I need to get some
0: clarity of this point because a number of commentators, even on this podcast, came here and said the one thing they were sure of was that President Buhari was determined to deliver a free and fair election because it would somehow give him a positive legacy but he doesn't seem to have said much or done much and even you saw President Rabassin just letter to him telling him look you said you wanted a free and fair election so please intervene and do something so that this process
1: seems fair but he doesn't appear to be interested why is that Phoenix? And because I think he came as it was he came as or I can't remember, or that I think mentioned, but we've always known that Buhari is legendary for his um, selfishness and his insular nature. So he would only do things to the extent that he favours him. With this same Buhari refused to sign the electoral act before the 2019 election. He signed it now, and maybe that's why a lot of people were convinced that he wanted to do right and on his way out. But I mean, I I think I was I was halfway there. Halfway there in the sense of, you know, knowing him and knowing the kind of person that he is, I I wasn't so sure that he was enamored of Tinubu to the extent where he was going to try to subvert everything on Tinubu's behalf, especially given how the primaries and all those things had gone. Um, but and one was also trying to you know play you know play games on his on his quest for a legacy by, by you, know, you know, speaking to whatever minimum good nature he may have to say, look, dude, do this one so that you can walk off into the sunset and let say you did one thing out of the ATS because your ATS has been an unmitigated disaster. But, you know, for me, yeah, I mean, so I can't blame those who thought that he, he, he would want to do that. And he's saying... Human being would want to do that, but but anyone looking at his antecedents would have known that. Look, is I mean, it would be out of character if he actually did it, and it would be something worthy of, of of you know giving him props for. But what has panned out tells us that he couldn't be bothered, and and the and therefore wasn't. I mean, didn't pull it. I mean, um, no matter how much Yakub. Mahmoud Yakubu has signed up with Tinubu and blah, 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 and all the stuff that Amici is saying. Make no mistake about it. If Buhari is not turning the blind eye to stuff that he's doing, there's no way that Mahmoud Yakubu will go ahead to the extent that he has done. So Buhari is fully involved, whether it is simply by not saying anything, you know, you know not being, not giving the order, but at least not saying that I'm not, I don't want you to do it. You're, you're also allowing it to happen because the people who work around you, the security agencies, all of them would read based on on where you stand. And he's come out to claim that the elections went well. So I think I mean people want people were, were, were feeling like you know let's hope for the best and see how things were but the guy st- he stayed true to who he is.
0: Thank you, Phoenix. Well, let me go to Samuel. Samuel Artiku. The ugly part of the elections uh, began a few weeks ago with this sudden messaging, both on the traditional media and social media, that somehow the candidate for governor, Badigbo Rhodes-Viva, was tainted because he was half Igbo or married to an Igbo woman. And things seemed to degenerate from there. So I want to start from the beginning. It started off with, I think there was a special advisor to the current governor of Lagos State, Saolu. I think her name is Mrs. Finney. She's the apparent sister of Pastor Pojo Yemade, who is the Convener of the platform program that a number of people listen to. So she seemed to be implying that somehow if you are not from Lagos State, you're not allowed, whatever that means to not be from Lagos State, you're not allowed to comment on the politics of Lagos. So the first question, is, Simon, is what what is this thing with that has be what is this anti-Ebo thing that seems to have kicked off? in Lagos. How how has this come about?
2: Yeah, Michael, I think um, it's one of those things. I mean, very, I always say that, um, I mean, just to use the word loosely, that APC is a demonic party and I have my reasons for that and the people are free to have their opinion. I think this whole thing started in 2018, not just now. When, and then, these are, I'll call it, these are, um. These are opinions that have been kept within close coffers. Um, essentially, these are conversations that they were having in-house. And then in the build up to the 2019 election, the Oba of Lagos, uh, interestingly stepped out and then of course publicly in front of everybody did make some very, very, I'll call it, actually did drop that hate speech around the ebos, And again, when that happened, remember, yeah, I mean, to be fair to the, I'll call it the illegitimate president-elect that we have now, you can hardly find him publicly uh, making such pronouncements. But his wife, interestingly, who is also not from Lagos anyway, had made those kind of comments in public. Aside from that, uh, I'm, I'm not even talking about this election cycle, I'm still talking about 2018, 2019. Aside from that, the vice presidential elects, of course, illegitimate in quotes, um, also did make some very damning statements, cut on tape and those things were there. So, I mean, just to say that this thing had been there, it's been in those big box, those conversations were already happening in their closed coffers behind the walls. And then all of a sudden it has finally come to the streets. And that's why we're saying where we're going. The unfortunate truth again, is that the so-called intellectuals, I always say something that, um, if not for the good people uh, in the world, that this stand up against racism today, maybe you will still be slaves somewhere, right? Some people did stand up. Unfortunately, Nigeria is very hard, very, very difficult to find people that will stand up and say this is actually not a good behavior and people that actually behave in certain ways. When you discriminate on the basis of ethnicity, when you discriminate on the basis of uh, against sex, when you discriminate, those behaviors are actually not acceptable in society. But unfortunately, we live in a society where we have very, very few educated people. And the ones that are educated, they are question mark about the quality of education that they acquire and even the way they reason and where you get into that space. Then the people that are not educated, look up to them, most of them children, most of them actually just growing up. Remember Nigeria, almost 70% of the population has young people these people just need direction. And then the people they look up to that they actually see as mentors, are actually spewing out, I'll call it, hate speech. Uh, and then against the particular ethnic group. I mean, even a judge, right? See, I did say something like that in Abuja, nothing happened to him. So my take here is that I think we have a problem in this society that we call Nigeria. And that problem is that we seem to give credence, we seem to endorse discrimination. And then, unfortunately, I mean, we could go back memory lane and look at the role the Civil War played. Some group of people, I will call it, they decided to plan coup d'etat, was start the Hiboku, and more than 10 million people lost their lives. Unfortunately, rather than us take lessons from the Civil War and take corrective measures, we did not. We are still doing the same thing. Now, the crisis in Lagos has gone beyond the elections. If you pick up the news, you'll see people are still being attacked. People are still being mapped, People are still being killed. And then we could ask ourselves, if the positions were reversed, how will you feel? For instance, if the people of the Niger Delta say, oh, you can't use our oil for ABCD. Oil companies, you have to remove everybody that are not our indigenes, you have to take them away. Then the people of the North also come up, oh, people in Abuja, you can't vote. If you are not from, if you are not an indigenous Abuja person, you can't vote here. You should go to your house, and then everybody goes into that, and I will ensure, and everything will fall apart. So my comment here is that I condemn the act. I say APC once again is a demonic party, and every reasonable person should condemn that action that happened in Lagos.
0: Thank you, Samuel. He came a sit. Samuel has laid the background to this abhorrent uh, turn of events. The question I have is, there's this individual in Lagos State. I think his real name is Musliu Akinsoya, but he's known as MC Oluomo. I, I don't know if he's an MC or a rapper. I don't know where that name came from, but he's known as MC Oluomo. He's on video basically threatening Igbos and telling them that if they don't want to vote for the apc they should go back to their states of origin and i'm trying to understand who is this mc fellow and how is he so influential in lagos state and why can nothing be done about his hateful comments it kemesis
3: um so the short the short answer right to that is that um, uh, MC, actually, it's not like an MC, 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 it's like MC Olomo um, is embedded in, and, and pretty deeply, right, into the, just here in Lagos, right, he's one of the primary uh, personalities within the Lagos chapter of the National Union of Road Transport Workers, um, and if you Understand the uh, the political pyramid on which the now president elect's uh, political power is built. On. Um, on the one hand, that's sort of the more bread and butter institutional structures within, you know, the All Progressives um, Congress, right? Um, here in Lagos, so you know, party stalwarts at the councillor level, the ward, and then on and on and on through, you know, the state houses of assembly, those who are political power brokers that don't have, right, an official portfolio, but they are members of the party and they are strong mobilizers. And then on the other hand, you have um, socio-economic and cultural um, institutions that are, you know, um, you know, and that are critical to sort of the, the the fabric, right, of the economic and social life here in Lagos, right? Um, one of those keynotes is the NURCW, right? The Road Transport Workers Union, another one, um, you know, which is heavily mobilized to delivering favorable outcomes for the UPC in the States, um, are the markets and um, unions, right? Uh, especially for the, markets that are, you know, heavily populated with Yoruba-speaking um, uh, um, um, operators, right? And and what Tinubu has done over the years, and he has contested, I mean, he has fought either as a candidate or as a power broker, what now, seven elections, right, um, in mean, Lagos, is that he has really consolidated those powers. So, using a mixture of, you um, uh, political patronage, giving preferential access to, you know, to government contracts, state contracts, right? And also giving these uh, power nodes, you know, a largely free reign to also, you know, create and administer their own... Um
0: Can I sit are you still there? I think we've lost the chemist. I think I, I can see him there, but his voice seemed to have disappeared. Uh, Phoenix, we'll come to you and then go back to Kermesit when the connection is restored. It's the, you know, start. Oh, Kermesit. Oh, I think you're back. We, we couldn't hear you for a bit. Can you hear me?
3: Oh, I see. I can hear you now. Oh, and I okay. just kept talking. Okay, okay, yeah. So I was saying that, so I'm Yeah, so just to clean up the point. So, everyone in Lagos basically knows that, you know, MC, the NURTW, as well as those non state, you know, um, institutions which have been, you know, empowered, right, for years and years, um, you know, under um, um, Tinubu's political management um, of Lagos are basically untouchable, right? Um, We've had a situation where at the behest of, you know, um, of, of the NURCW, um, you know, um, um, the tax collections on bus drivers in Lagos has been increased. Um, you've had a situation where, uh, you know, motorcycle riders have been banned, right, in most of, um, you know, Lagos's uh, metropolitan areas, at least, you know, the you know the core areas, right. Um, and, and so a lot of these people know that to to basically confront them is to one come against you know a highly motivated and a very politically organized union, and secondly is also to come uh, is also to confront right um, the political powers that be that continue to empower you know you know you know you know personalities of this type as well as those institutions, and that's what led to a very, the very you know comical and astonishing and really uncomfortable situation where a senior police officer in the state was essentially defending right criminality the final point that I will make on the, um, on this more broadly is that um this what has gone on you know with mc but also you know generally over this election cycle is that the APC, particularly in the Southwest, right, which is, you know, the most urban, the most cosmopolitan, right, the most wired and connected, right, part of Nigeria, knew and they made a clear and deliberate calculation that fighting this election and winning this election on the merits was going to put them at the back burner. They were going to be at a disadvantage. And so they clearly chose, you know, an ethno religious more ethnic than religious. Certainly, you know, religion played a part. They chose an ethno religious agenda and a lens with which to, on the one hand, motivate and keep their base motivated throughout the very long, um, you know, pre election season, but more importantly, to also empower a lot of these groups to engage in voter suppression tactics. And you saw that a lot, the vast majority of the voter suppression taxes that you saw um, expressed right across the country happened in the Southwest and a disproportionate amount of them occurred in Lagos, right? And it was deliberate, it's, it's like that concentration, right? Of um, firepower and I use firepower here figuratively, right? In, you know, in, in a particular geographic parts of the country is too statistically significant for it not to have been deliberate, for it not to have been planned and managed, and for it not to you know, have been done with a view to having the effect that it had, which was to make it difficult for many people to come out to vote, but also disincentivize dis- a lot of people to come out to vote. And that's basically what you've seen in this cycle. And you have seen state institutions basically puts a stamp of approval and authority on it. And, you know, that has very important, and I dare say very, you know, negative and uncomfortable um, implications for the health of Nigeria's democracy going forward.
0: Thank you, Ikemesit. Phoenix, there is this popular blogger, Sisi Yemi, that's what she's known as on YouTube. CCME posted a video of her trying to vote and thugs blocked her and said, you look Igbo, so you're not going to vote. And she was caught on video, basically having to plead and explain that I'm not Igbo. I'm not Igbo, allow me vote. After that, the spokesperson for Bola Tinubu's campaign, the chief spokesman, Bayo Ononuga, who's a veteran journalist, former Nadeko and June 12 campaigner, posted a message saying, we will teach, we will let Igbos know that this state belongs to Yorubas, that Igbos should, in summary, go to their home states, and then later double down on that message. Phoenix. there were videos of thugs attacking people who they believed were Igbos. Some of them were not even Igbo, some were Niger Deltas, some were even Yoruba, but apparently there's a way you look that makes you look Igbo. Phoenix, how does Lagos state move on from here? What are the political implications of an open assault on Igbo people in the business capital of Nigeria?
1: Michael. Um. Uh, it, it, I. I. I don't know how how we move on from here. I mean, we've seen we've seen this get we've seen this degenerate um, since APC came to power um, at the center um, nationally. Um, clearly, this was. It, it, and I've called them and I think I mean I don't claim um originality here because I think it's I mean among reasonable people this 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 was the clear understanding that the apc was a special purpose vehicle put together to to win election to to capture the country but this was this was a collection of um this was a collection of users at the national level because on their own, they had never been able to form um, the, the, the partnerships that is that, that were required um, to build a national coalition that would enable you lead a country such as Nigeria. So you practically had these people who had been <laughs> losing for so long, all of a sudden recognizing each other this, this common thread and then banded together. But they would not have been successful if some selfish interests within the PDP had not joined them and helped them to victory. Because if it had just been the CPC and the ACN, I still do not think they would have been enough to defeat a united PDP back then. And they took and they came to power against, you know folks like myself and many others who were, I mean, adamant demand that this guy should never see power. Because we, we saw where this could go and now we've seen it. We saw, we've seen it election cycle after election cycle, this issue become exacerbated and Lagos as ground zero. We saw in 2015, the above Lagos threatening with pushing them into Lagoon. We saw, Tinobu's wife caught on video, telling Igbos that they can't be trusted and blah, blah, blah. But then for it to get to where it is today, for us to see members of, I mean, people who work for the Lagos state government carrying placards, you know, saying our uh, Lagos is not your Lagos. For us to hear the rhetoric against a true-born lagosian For us to hear, you know, the anti-Igbo rhetoric that we've heard, why? Because an Igbo man dared to want to make a better country for us all. And so they they tried to throw all sorts of mud at him, you know, none not of it stuck, but they, they kept trying. And because they couldn't get Peter Obi. They then, of course, seized upon primordial sentiments um, in uh, in Lagos, which came to the fore because, simply because, by the who is Roots Lagos who is a Lagosian, as Lagosian as it gets, um, has a mother who's Igbo and he's married to an Igbo woman. And all of a sudden, they, they whipped up ethnic sentiments against them. And not only that, they then, they then set up their thugs to go for the kill because they, they, they knew that in a free and fair election, they would lose handily. I mean, it would not even be a contest because people, people in Lagos have been primed for change. It was just a question of can they find um, a cause to gather behind? And we, we I mean, people were also willing to extract um penance for, for the Neki massacre, which Son Songolu, the, the, the governor, um played a a significant role. He practically called the soldiers and, and sick them on on armed people who they shot at. And so I say all of that to, I mean to to I mean when I when I saw when I when I of course when I when I saw the tweets from CCME and saw the video, I was like, and then I saw several other videos where clearly we could hear APC thugs, you know, walking on streets in Lagos and telling people to stay in their houses if they're not going to come out and vote for the APC. Then we saw them actually attacking people and beating people up at police stations, trying to see who they were voting for. Then we started hearing that if people look like Igbo, I wonder what it means to look like Igbo. Maybe I'm not even safe anymore. I mean, I'm sure most people know I'm a Yoruba man. So I wonder if I'm if I'm safe in my in my country anymore, or in this or in the state in which I was born. But this is this is a direct, you know, link to the characters that make up this despicable party called the APC. You know, the the, the thing that. The thing that annoys me the most is they, they 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 have leveraged this June 12th thing. And that's the thing with, with, with causes, in the sense that in fighting injustice, sometimes you 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 end up allowing all sorts of characters join. And then they get brand, they get branded into what they truly are not. And that's why we're seeing all of these characters now. I mean, you now see who they really are. Bolatinubu has lived off of, that's how he became senator, and so he became governor. Because he was part of Nadeko, he fought Abacha, he went on exile, blah, blah, blah. They rewarded him with the governorship. He's built an empire, a criminal empire, sucking the state dry. And now, unless, unless, uh, unless Peter Obi can stop him via the courts, he's on his way to Asuro. And so you're not surprised that the likes of Bayo and Ononuga, a hopeless, senseless old man, who say something like that in public and still double down and, and you know, telling us exactly that the things that we were seeing with these mindless dogs on the street was actually sanctioned by, by their most senior folks, all the way up to Tinubu himself. So when you ask me how do we come back from here, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. This, I mean, because, I mean, Lagos used to be, Lagos used to be the one place of refuge for all of us. We came from everywhere eh, across the country. These clowns who are jumping up and down, talking about Lagos as though it's their homeland, against a Lagosian. Kupaya Ononuka is from Ogun State, he's an Ijebu man. The Sohulu also is Ijebu, Ogun State. Tinubu is Oshu State. None of these guys are Lagosians. Meanwhile, they, they are calling a Lagosian somebody who is, who is an Igbo man or Moibu. And then they are, they, are, they are meeting out injustice to Igbo people simply because of their own greed and their fear that if they were to lose hold on Lagos, all of the criminality that they've done will come to the fore. And of course, the feeding trough that they've held on to for 24 years will be lost. They couldn't afford that. So that's why they had to go all out, scorch the and destroy everything, destroy relationships, destroy, you know, cause fissures in homes. I mean, there, there are countless people that I know who are mixed marriages between Yorubas and Igbos. I think, I mean, if, if there if there's a large number of inter-ethnic marriages in this country, I believe it's mostly Yorubas and Igbos. I grew up with Igbos. I, I don't know. I don't know how we come away from this. How do how do they feel safe? Look at the look at look at that idiotic um, tweet that we saw of somebody converting a burner out of the abundance of the heart. The, the, the mouth speak it. So I mean, the idiot is trying to walk you back, but that's that's who they are. They are hoping. I, I mean, but the, the stupidity of it all is. Economically, Lagos has thrived because it has attracted people of enterprise it has attracted people who are willing you know to give it it's like our new york you come there you work hard you drive your business you become successful the state prospers that's what lagos has always held and that's why it's been welcoming it's had everybody come there make your fortune do well and we all enjoy and uh, you know have our faji together and all of a sudden these clowns think that they can <laughs> by, by some chance, do it on their own, and make some people feel unsafe in Lagos. And I just and I and I think I think the Igbos because they, they they showed restraint even in the face of all of this. I mean, because if they if they decided to fight back, we would have the beginnings of another civil war. Because people must protect their homes, they must protect their children. So I, I just, I, I thank them that they've shown restraint. And I hope that, you know, over, I mean, in time, the things get calm and we were able to walk away from the precipice, but make no mistake about it. This has damaged relations and Nigeria will pay for it. And the bill will come due. There's no doubt about it in my mind. You're not, you're not going to simply... You know, sweep this under the carpet and walk away from this was this was dastardly. This was wrong, and people need to pay for it. I'm hoping that it's sooner rather than later. If perchance, chance, um, you know, I mean, this the Labour Party is successful in in overturning these elections and we have a, a proper new government, and we and these people get held to account. But you know, Michael, this this was this was all forms wrong. It's horrible. It's I condemn it in the strongest terms. This is not who we are as Yoruba people, and these are these do not Bolatinu has never represented Yoruba people to me as far as I'm concerned. I've always said that he's the worst of us, and he enables the worst of us. And Yorubas need to see that and call that out. We, we need to see that and call that out because this is not who we are. It's. Let's see.
0: Uh, thank, thank you, Felix. I, I personally, I personally, I find the whole thing, the drama, puzzling because I've always been fascinated by people's backgrounds. And I always find it interesting when you see a candidate who's half Igbo, half Yoruba, half Edo, half Urubu. I always find it fascinating. I didn't realize that it can be turned into an ethnic uh, weapon. On a personal note, she probably doesn't remember me, but... Uh, Balegbo's wife was at university with me, where we university in London together. I was probably an inconsequential figure, so she probably doesn't remember me. We used to exchange greetings at the time. But, uh, I'm just amazed that I, I'm actually fascinated because I know Lagos, and Nigeria is very a lot of, especially in the south, is a lot of intermarriages. So I'm absolutely
1: confused.
0: Absolutely,
1: absolutely. There's, I mean, it's crazy. Even the himself, he's married to an Umar. His son is married to his, his, his son's wife is from Anambra. I mean, these people are crazy. And that's why that's what that's what bothers me that I mean, people get misled by these greedy people who are only doing it for their own pecuniary interest. They, they're, they're using this thing to whip up emotions. Name, name the name the um, top-line Southwest politician today who is not, who doesn't have an intermarriage. Shaymakide's wife, I believe, is from the South South. Um, uh, what's his name? Adeleke. His 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 mother is Igbo. I mean, it's, it's crazy. i
0: it's well, I I didn't even know. I generally did not know it could be a political weapon to say you were. I, th- I thought I thought it was actually an advantage to say. Exactly. heart you're, you're diverse, people. absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I'm generally confused when I saw the attacks. I didn't even know how to respond. I was just thinking, how, how does one respond to the allegation that your mother is Like, able- What do you even say? So it's, uh, it's it's very odd. But anyway, our time is up. So first of all, thank you, Phoenix, and welcome back. Secondly, thank you, Samuel, and thank you, Chemessit, for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here. Last but not least, I thank our listeners for being loyal and always giving us helpful feedback. Um, The elections are still being, the votes are still being counted, so we'll get the final results hopefully before next week. And the electoral tribunals will be kicking off soon, so hopefully we shall see what the judges say. But until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to everyone. Thanks,
1: Mike. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Ikemasit. Thanks, Slatiku, for joining us. Um, Thank you, listeners. And again, I I did miss um, (laughs) being on the podcast last week. And uh, thank you for for asking after us. And we we really appreciate your your loyalty and for listening to us. Have a great week ahead uh, and look forward to being back again next week. Bye, everyone.